Hi listeners and welcome to the David Crit Podcast. Today is another Tate Tuesday. My name is Hagen and today I'm joined by Jacqueline. Hi. And Britt. Hi there. We're going to talk about how to get into arts. So if you're like me and have no like formal arts education, if you have no idea what what's the difference between expressionism and impressionism, if you have no idea who the whole bunch of artists are that you should know then you should keep listening because we're going to talk about how you can help yourself getting more knowledge in the arts world so Prit, Jacqueline you both have like a fine arts degree is that right yes yes we do I do yeah no I I've just recently completed mine so so you should know all the all the things <laughs> let's hope hey all the art you should know all the art okay all the things so I don't know anything about art. Where do I start? How do I know um, what's important, what's not important? Who are the artists that are important? Who are, which artists should I know about? Which art movement should I know about? Which art terms should I know about? Who's helping me in this world? So I just want to begin by saying that um, that that question is quite an interesting one, especially at the moment, because I think for hundreds of years discussions around what is important to know has been dominated by what has happened in Europe which is being complicated in an interesting way these days I think with um, I, you know the advent of the art fair is certainly helping um, the internet is also helping to complicate our notions of what is important and what isn't but because we're talking here specifically about um, books from the Tate, which is a, a, a British institution, um, we are taking the old, old stance of looking at what what is important in Western art. And I think why that's interesting, why it's a good place to begin, is because a lot of um, art from other places often is um, referring to what has happened in the, in the West and referring to that the very the very fact that it has been dominated for so long so it's a very great it's a good place to start we've got quite a few publications here that um, give give would give you a crash course um, beginning sort of when things all began as far as the Paris salon was concerned with impressionism all the way up to now uh, where it becomes a much more complex landscape mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think it is it is an interesting place or a, a significant place to start because it does it is very well researched. There's a lot of information out there about the artists from these periods, from these eras, from these galleries, and there's enough writing on these artworks to give like anyone who's now newly looking into the arts, um, a, you know, a basis understanding of what descriptions and what can be achieved through art because I, I think you know whilst like what what the internet has done which I agree with which is really cool is um giving you everyone that reads art a broader understanding or lexicon to draw from when looking at artworks but w- without this kind of foundation that is established from you know the western traditional art movements um, I think it's very difficult to just come in with the new information I think there's so much that it would confuse anyone which is why I think your question is so relevant and commonly asked yeah because I feel like if you don't know the context then you can't do much if like someone's talking about first of all like using all the art terms if I don't know anything about these art terms it doesn't say much Mm -hmm. 
And if I don't know the context, for example, if I can't say, oh, this artist, he was living then and he was like connected to like, for example, the Dada movement or something like that. If I can't do that, I can't really place uh, this artist in the proper context and I don't know how to look at the artworks, for example, mm. and, and what to do with them. Because sometimes, if you like, you know, I mean, there's like this this artist Yves Klein, right? The French artist. He had a lot of artworks that were just like one color. So it was like the whole canvas was just one color. How do I look at that? How do I? It's like I could do that at home. So that's like <laughs> often like often people with modern art, especially if say, okay, I could do that at home. It's like a white canvas with like one line on it. What what's <laughs> what's happening here? So. Um, maybe we should just start with some books um, that help our listeners or me especially to like get more into the arts world mm -hmm. so I think the book that Brit has got over there with her is a good place to start it's called How to Look at Art and the reason why I think it's a good place to start before jumping into the historical aspects is because it, allow, it allows you to get, a, get to grips with the formal aspects of when you are looking at art, what are you actually looking at? What are the components? Uh, composition, color, is the artist, what medium is the artist using? Um, what is the content? So is it a portrait? If so, what does that mean? Is it a group of figures? If so, what does that mean? Is it a landscape? What is the tradition of landscape painting? There was a great quote that you found there, um, mm. Britt. Yeah, so when I was looking through it, I found this quote that said, um, it's not what you look at that matters, it's what you see, by Henry David Thoreau. Um, and I think that's that's quite a, you know, quite a short and sweet way of putting it because um, it's, everyone looks at the artwork, um, but everyone sees something different. And I think that's where this comes in, in how to interpret it based on these different, um, you know, qualities, which include, you know, the sub subject matter, the way, the, the construction of it, the construction of the art elements, the period that it was created, um, and how all those elements come together to formulate the artwork. Mm -hmm. um, and I think when you do have a basic understanding or a broad understanding of those, um, those different topics, it's a lot easier to put them all together when you look at the artwork and try and come to an understanding, which will always be subjective, but um, when you have that foundation, it, it really helps. So I think that's why this is a great book to start with. And I think on the, on the, on the issue of subjectivity, um, which is a big one, because everybody does see something different, that, that once, you, once you have a, um, a solid visual literacy, I feel, especially when you come into arenas like abstraction, if you have a solid sense of what you are looking at, or how to look at it, I guess, um, your subjectivity is then able to be released in a way. Because you're not then so concerned about whether you're getting it right or not, because you already have an understanding of what, of, of what you're seeing. Then you really can allow your imagination to take over. Yeah. Um, so this book is divided into sections like um, the ones we were just talking about, including visual thinking, which I think is very important. Oh, yeah. And especially, then, sorry. Yeah, no. I was just going to say, especially nowadays, because I think so, so much, like if you look at social media and Instagram and stuff, there's just so, so many images out there all the time and you can interpret it so differently um, depending on, on what your, um, you know, the way that you see it is informed by. And this is, this is exactly what this book is talking about, all those different um, elements that inform what you see. Exactly. Um, I think that's very, very relevant. 
Um, what it also does here is gives gives the subjects port portraiture, animals, landscapes, and then moves into abstraction themes, motivation and inspiration, which I found quite an interesting one because especially when you look at work by people like William Kentridge, sometimes that, you know, the inspiration may be there, but the understanding only comes afterwards. So it's interesting to, as a viewer then, to develop a visual literacy before you've even begun looking. And this book also has a, a vocabulary and a checklist and an index, so it's very accessible. It's, um, it's, a, it's a nice one to have in your library, I think, certainly mm -hmm. if you're starting out. Yeah, it's a, it's a good reference book. I mean, I think even, even for me now, having studied fine arts, to have something like that to, to reference whenever I'm you know, writing or thinking about an artwork, um, it's always useful to have that to flip back at and see if there's any examples that relate or are similar or artists that fit that subject matter. Um, so yeah, I think it's a wonderful book. Awesome. There's also a sibling book of um, which is called How to Survive Modern Art, not only how to look at um, art, but how to survive modern art. What's that book about? Um, why does it help me? or anyone else. So this is quite a fun book. It is the sibling book there. Um, this book and the previous one, How to Look at Art, were both written by Susie Hodge. Uh, whereas the previous one is quite, um, the, the sections are quite big, so it gets quite in depth into each topic that she discusses. This one's quite fun. It's, it's um, laid out more, more like a magazine. Um, it's got an extensive list in the contents of where it's gonna go. Um, it's kind of chronological, but it's also quite scattered in the sense that sometimes she's looking just at an artist like Picasso, who's you know takes up a lot of space. Um, sometimes she's grouped artists together. So for instance, Rodin, Brancusi, and Giacometti. So they were all working in a similar mode. Um, Bacon, Freud, Rego. They were also there the are connections between them. And then sometimes she looks at movements, minimalism, conceptualism, land art, and so on. And when you page through the book, the bits of text are very short. It's quite image heavy. Um, I think that is a nice way to zoom in, um, but also get a, a not so, I want to use the word pedestrian, but that's a, it's got so many negative <laughs> connotations. Um, a not so, what's another word? Uh, layman's? No. Starter, like a starter. Mm -hmm. Is that a better word? Maybe starter. Yeah. yeah. So this is great when you want to when you want to zoom into things, but also look. It's a kind of bird's eye view, and then it drops down and zooms in on something, and then goes up and moves to a different country like Mexico, and then comes up again. And so it's not as um, it's not it's not as much of a starter kit as the other book. So this is a great. Um, but it gives me great talking points, like quick talking points. If anyone's talking about Picasso, I'll just skim through the two pages or three pages on Picasso in here, maybe even a few more pages, but like the small text and then I have like quick talking points and can like impress yeah. Absolutely. Uh, in, <laughs> yeah. in any like uh, arty group. You yeah. can totally survive a modern art conversation and that's, that's exactly that's what the book's for, right? That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. It's your big girl's vibe. <laughs> yeah, you can jump all the way from Rodin to uh, Frida Kahlo effortlessly, <laughs> you know? Um, that's nice. That's that's a skill in, that comes in handy from time to time. It is, and I think especially the reason why that is so important, or it becomes so important, the, the, the greater your visual literacy becomes, is because one then develops, once you've got an idea of the basics, 
you then begin to look at art from other places and begin to understand where it fits in, which is what we were saying earlier. Mm. It's difficult to come in without a foundation. So once you've got your foundational knowledge, you can then begin to see how people in Mexico are talking to Europe. Um, mm. The colonial aspect comes in, the modernism versus the postmodernism aspect comes in, and this, this book goes all the way up to digital art. Um, that's great. That's great. Also, like uh, what I feel like, if you, the more art you see, uh, the better you also get at like seeing. Oh wow, that's really something that's super fascinating. That's super interesting. That's kind of new. Of course, it's always like referencing, like the works that came before. But like you can see if it's like, is uh, an original, I'd say, or more of like uh, following a very well trodden path already so um it helps with that as well i feel like what else do we got with um what else do we got so i just want to refer to this quite fun publication it's a little fold it's a concertina fold out called the tate artist timeline you're not going to get any uh meaty um information from this but it's a great it literally folds out into a long concertina with each fold uh, divided into tenure periods. And on each piece is, is written what was happening at that time, beginning with um, Art Nouveau, post-impressionism. Because of course, before then, we need to understand that photography wasn't a thing. And so painting uh, was really, and, and drawing was really more about uh, documentation, um, because that was the visual element that, that existed in order to document things. It also, um, there was a, a strong relationship between patrons and artists, and so you had a lot of portraits happening that would then hang on mantelpieces, um, and people would go out into the field and record things through drawings. It, 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 it had a much more functional um, role than suddenly, at the same time, photography was developed, early forms of photography, and all this paint suddenly, you know, that, that scientific um, sort of impetus had an impact on paint as well. So suddenly artists had paint that was in tubes, they didn't have to mix it themselves, and they were able to go out with that into the field and actually record things like colors and light, which is what people like Monet and the Impressionists were doing. That's when it all began to get a bit shaky, which is why this starts there and goes from 1900 and just before all the way to 2000. So there are lots of um, movements and schools written in large type and then around each of those are some of the, the most important artists that were functioning in that movement. So it's a nice little uh, tool to whip out of your pocket if you suddenly don't know who was part of the St. Ives School, for instance. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's, that, that's, a, that's a great way to refer to it as a tool. And um, mm. it's great that Tate actually publishes those kinds of, of things that we can use. Mm. Um, and it's not all just like text heavy textbooks or whatever. It's mm. like something that you can quickly reference and mm. use, you know, however you choose. Like you can further research any of those names that you maybe haven't seen before or you didn't know fitted in to that timeline. Mm. So yeah. The other great tool, um, which is not as, as uh, mini and compact as the Tate mm -hmm. Artist Timeline, but it really is a fabulous, fabulous reference book that is not one that you need to read from beginning to end. It's the Tate Guide to Modern Art Terms, um, which has also just been updated with 
150 more terms than they had in the first edition, which I found uh, wow. very cool because um, yeah, wow. they they became really um, interested in incorporating the newer stuff that's coming in, the more. Um, you know, stuff not just from Europe, stuff from Africa, stuff from China, stuff, you know, that, and then that's the advent of the art fairs, bringing all of that in, you know, the internet and all of yeah. that. So this is great. It's organized like a dictionary. You can literally pop in, read about, I've got open here, kitchen sink painters. <laughs> Which is? <laughs> Originally used as the title of an article by the critic David Sylvester in the December 1954 issue of the journal Encounter discussed the work of British realist artists known as the Beaux-Arts Quartet. And it goes on to tell you what about what, what they were doing. Right. That's followed by Kitsch. And so it goes on, you know, each, you know, yeah, Neuerwilden, New British Sculpture, uh, the Market Photo Workshop's also in here, which oh, is really? quite cool. Yeah, there's some cool sort of... If you want to know more about the TED Guide to Modern Art Terms, we also recorded a dedicated episode on that book uh, with you to clean. So um, we'll link that in, this, in the description. Um, so we're coming to an end. Um, let's just quickly mention the other books because we're going to do dedicated episodes on them as well. So we don't need to go into them in detail. We also have the Tate Artist Series um, and the British Artist Series. So, so Tate has published a number of books on like the most well-known British artists and other artists they have in their uh, in their collection. Like for example Turner, Plague, Picasso, um, who else is there? Uh, Lucien Freud, uh, John Constable, Terry Frost and so on and so forth. Yeah, um, in the in the um, international artists, you've got also the you know big names like Sarah Lucas, Louise mm. Bourgeois, Tracy Emin, Rachel White Reed, Ed Ruscheh. Um it, it, That's for you know it's, if you really want to know a lot about an individual artist, um, the, this is the place to go. There's one on William Kentridge as well, in fact, written um, by an old associate of DKP, Kate McRickard, um, which is, they're fabulous. They've got in-depth essays, a lot of imagery um, that look at the artist's career. Um, there's also the Tate um, Art Movements books, which go from, similar to the artist's timeline, they go from sort of Impressionism up through to to the present and it's great having books from both those series because i think what's nice is seeing how the artist fits into the movement or how the movement influenced the new artists um so it's awesome that tate has actually managed to publish these different series that can interlink and cross-check with even the books that we spoke about today mm -hmm. i also just want to mention that once you once you've got to grips with um the overviews um what tate also does is publish exhibition catalogue specifically for projects by artists so you might find that you get the Tate artist series on Olafur Eliasson and you love him I love him I love him too <laughs> <laughs> in which case you then you can then drill down and find um, extensive publications on specific projects that, uh, that Eliasson has done for instance so that's also yeah Tate it's a that's really awesome. it's a good it's a good place to go if you want to learn about art thanks to both of you Jacqueline, thanks for doing this. Today, this was another episode of Tate Tuesday on the David Code Podcast, a production of David Code Projects. My name is Hagen, and definitely be on the lookout for more podcasts, more episodes to come on 
the Tate Artist Series, on the Tate Art Movement Series. We're going to do more on that in the month and weeks to come. You can also get by any of these books, any of the mentioned books or any other book on art at our bookstore uh, at the Plu House, 151 Jansmans Avenue, Parkwood. Or you can also order through our website, davidcrootbookstores.com.